evening. I just uh, want to start this by uh, awkwardly saying at the very beginning, I really, really appreciate all of your kindness and uh, support, not only just uh, to Mary Beth and her being here, of course, um, but for the for the shower, of course. Uh, I'm just, um, was really struggling to not cry in the room, and I'm struggling to cry now. Um, but I just, beyond my speechlessness, I just wanted to say thank you. So thank thank you all for that, and I'm sure that I'm speaking for for both of us in in saying that just your your support um, for for me since my getting here and um, for her uh, coming up. I and all, and already uh, it just means the world. So thank you for that. When when you're all of you being kind to her, it's it's like an extension of kindness back to me. I really appreciate it. So thank you. Hide me away, O oh Lord. Hide me away, O oh Lord. In the day of trouble, neath the shadow of your wings, hide me away, O Lord. The words of that hymn may sound familiar to us. You could take them as the whispered cry of the child of God who longs for rescue and shelter. In difficult moments, its comfort stems from its truthfulness. After all, the song does not parade false promises. It speaks truthfully of the hope that the devoted child has in the father's arms. Indeed, hide me away, O Lord. We serve a God who cares about his children. Many, due to their own life experiences, have a difficult time grasping the grace of God. They have a difficult time picturing a protective father around them. It can be challenging to trust in him when his character feels unknown. When the profile is incomplete, we can, all we can have is a jagged sketch. We approach him as a suspect rather than an innocent. We see the severity of God and blind our own eyes to his kindness, even though Romans 11.22 tells us to see both. We serve a God who genuinely desires us, a God who protects and cares for us. He wants to surround us with his love, and we are wise to accept that plea. The Lord's presence is the safest place we can ever be. If you recall, there is a song in 2 Samuel in verse 22 that phrases this much better than I ever could. King David has been through a lot, or had been through a lot by that point, between civil war, familial betrayal, and attempted assassinations. He had seen a lot in his day, but he had also battled himself spiritually, if we remember having committed sins with, with Bathsheba and having covered it up with murder. He experienced his own moral pitfalls, and yet the grace of God was ever upon him. He was rescued from his enemies, and he was preserved by his God. The song of praise that's written in 2 Samuel 22 is slightly revised and adapted into Psalm 18, and that's what will be for our study tonight, Psalm chapter 18. Though no two of us in this room may face the same troubles, all of us can have the same God to stand with us. We can all have the same support, even if the same struggles are not being endured. If nothing else, I want you to remember this today, that we are safe with the Lord. No deceptive titling, no, uh, no bait and switch. We are indeed safe with the Lord. Why is that? Well, throughout this time, we'll cover three reasons from this psalm. We're safe with the Lord first due to his protection in verses 1 through 19. 
Then in verses 20 through 30, we'll talk about how we are safe with the Lord due to his faithfulness. Then finally, his support in verses 31 through 50. We are safe with the Lord due to his protection, his faithfulness, and his support. So once again, remember the introduction here. It says to the choir master of Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. There is a lot that's going into this composition. So let's start with the Lord's protection. We are safe with the Lord because of his protection. Let's start there in verses 1 through 19. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent me from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The first three verses in Psalm 18 describe our Lord as our shelter. I love you, O Lord, my strength. That is protective language. That is strength language. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. We are safe with him. We are safe in his dwelling. He is a secure hiding place. Our safe house when in danger and our anchor when we are afraid. The following three verses, verses four through six, describe the Lord as our ally. The Lord is our ally. He's readily available to hear our needs and come to our aid. God was not too far to be reached. From his temple he heard my voice, verse six, and my cry to him reached his ears. He was never too far away to hear my plea before him. He was never too distant to hear my petition. When difficulties surround us, it's in those moments that God's grace most greatly envelops us. When troubles confront us, God's protection comforts us. We are never alone when he is near, and we ought to trust that he is always near. The faithful child of God knows that God is with him. Verses 7 through 19 paint the picture of God being our rescuer. 
we can note this imagery again, that the earth reeled and rocked, the foundations trembled and quaked because he was angry, the smoke that went from his nostrils, glowing coals flamed forth from him. The imagery beckons our reverence and our fear. The poetry shows his power and his preeminence. And yet looking through these images, when I read in verse 13 of how the Lord thundered in the heavens, when I hear of him uttering his voice, hailstones and coals of fire, I can be afraid. And yet I remember that it's this very God that is on my side. It's this very God that is on our side. The one to whom creation is subjected comes to our aid in times of need to your aid and mine in times of need. The God who is in complete control of creation has, has the ability to come to my aid to protect me and to protect you. The one who silences the waves rescues me from them. The one who can calm the mighty storm can even calm my, my very weary soul. And for every single one of us, the God who is capable of telling the, the seas to calm can calm us down as well. Even when our enemies are near, our God is even nearer. May we reverence his power and his might. May we also see these powerful signs, these displays of God's power as evidence for his power and his might. The same God who is in control of the very waters is the one who draws me out of them, verse 16. David was able to find protection with God. They confronted me, my enemies did, in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support, verse 18. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Contrary to what the next few verses will sound like, this is not because I was so worthy of his power and his protection that he came to my aid because he had no other choice. This is not saying that he came to help me because I'm just such a good guy and I deserved his help and protection. Not at all, because he delighted in me, the psalmist says. David says it it had very little to do with me. It was because of him. We need to read these following words in that context, but remember, we are safe with the Lord first, verses 1 through 19, because of his protection. Due to his protection. Verses 20 through 30. We are safe with the Lord because of his faithfulness. Because of his faithfulness. Let's read these. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For for all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way, is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. A few things. It is true 
that God allows good and bad for both the just and the unjust. Matthew 5, 43 through 48, you could write that in a footnote. Um, it's important to note that he truly does love all people and wants for all people to come through him, through, to come to him through seeing these displays of goodness in their own lives. It is true that God loves all people, that God loves the whole world, per John 3.16. That is certainly true. However, it is also true, it is abundantly true, that God's children have a special relationship with him. It is neither prideful nor pompous to point that out. It is a promise. We know that the Lord's mercies are new every morning, per Lamentations 3.23, and that there's a layer to that promise that that verse gives that holds special meaning to the child of God. Verses 20 through 24, verse, first of all, display how God rewards faithfulness. God rewards faithfulness. It is true. The Lord dealt with David according to his righteousness and indeed rewarded him according to the cleanness of his hands. David kept the ways of the Lord and he says, never having departed wickedly from his ways, and that's true. But doesn't that seem a bit strange? We pointed out earlier in the context of 2 Samuel uh, 22 that in just a few verses earlier in 2 Samuel 11, he committed a grave sin, a grave sexual sin with Bathsheba and then later murdered her husband Uriah. Yet 1 Kings 15 and verse 5, if you want to write that verse down, 1 Kings 15 and verse 5 reminds us that from God's perspective, David was wholly faithful to the Lord apart from that event. That event was the time where David displayed a complete abandon from what the Lord had taught him. Yet David turned away from his wickedness, praying from a clean heart and praying for a clean heart. And he would likewise pray for a renewed relationship with God in Psalm 51. If we don't accept that, then we're stuck with these verses thinking that he never sinned a day in his life. Worse, we could think that his sin with Bathsheba and against Uriah was the only series of sins he ever committed in his life. And those of you who have been children of God for more than five minutes should know, it's not that simple. Our Lord rewards faithfulness. And trust me, faithfulness and perfection are not synonyms. They are not the same thing. We are indeed commanded to love God so much we're willing to follow in his ways. John, 15, John 14 and verse 15, we're commanded to love him so much we're willing to do what he says. Not just to believe in him, per John 3, 16, but to believe in him so much we believe in his authority to obey him. John 3 and verse 36, we're supposed to do those things. But I could do everything in my power to be a perfect man. I could do everything in my power to never, to, to do everything that I could to not sin against him and to never fail in his sight, and yet I still would. I still would fall woefully short from the, from, the, from the image and the model that his son gave us on this earth. I would fall woefully short of his holiness if I bubble wrapped to the whole world. I would still fall short of the standard that God sets for me. Thanks be to God that he rewards my faithfulness and not my perfection. As much as I strive to be at that level, I will never get there. And that's where I'm so thankful that the standard is faithfulness and not perfection. Verses 25 through 29 likewise indicate that God rewards humility. 
God rewards humility. Referring to his prayer in Psalm 51, had David approached God with an arrogant spirit, inquiring about a forgiveness that he believed was due to him, that he believed was deserved, no such words like these could be written and they be true. Different approaches to God are rewarded with different impressions of him. The arrogant see him as a fiend while the humble see him as a friend. Our faiths take hills and valleys, sure. The Psalms themselves show how faith often needs strengthening and encouraging. It is not a sin to come to God inquiring of what's going on and where are you, Lord? I'm desperate. I need your help. There's no sin in pleading to our Father for his help. Yet in those moments of doubt, may we always have in our minds the thought to return back to him, the thought to return back into the faithful arms of our Lord. I want you to just see reiterated and hear reiterated the view of God that is given in verse 30. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. The view of God shown in this verse shows a reverence for God for which David would likewise be rewarded. A reverence is rewarded. Reverence is rewarded by God. A reverence that sees his perfection, that sees that everything that he does is without fault, it's completely faultless. A type of reverence that sees that his words are always true. A reverence that sees that when God makes a promise, he is going to keep it. A reverence that says if God's word says it, it's the truth whether I agree with it or not. A reverence that says that God is right and I am wrong 100% of the time. It's also a strength that we see. It's, it's, it's hearkening back to that protection that we've alluded to before. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. If I do not trust God enough to know that he is standing beside me and bluntly in front of me, I don't have enough trust in him. And I need my faith strengthened frequently with that truth. We can trust that the Lord's promises are true. We can trust that his character is true. And we can trust that our needs will be met and that his promise of protection is true. May we have a view of God like David's. Finally, verses 31 through 50. Verses 31 through 50. We can, be, we can know that we are safe in the Lord because of the Lord's support. Or you could alternatively say his empowerment. Look at these verses with me. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. 
I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the, be the God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. I know we, we read the whole psalm, but it's praising God. I think it's okay to take a little extra time for that. We are safe in the Lord because of his support. God is our savior and our dearest friend. Note the strength that God gives, verses 31 through 40. Note that first. Any ability that David had was credited to the Lord. Verse 32, the God who equipped me with strength, who made my way blameless. He didn't do it on his own is his point. No talent or victory was his to gloat about because he had a God to boast about. We likewise can take no credit for the things we are permitted to do for his glory. Any talent or ability that has been allowed and given by him, I cannot take any credit for that. It's not of my own personal accord. I'm in no way speaking of the miraculous in our context. Don't worry, but we should not need to limit God's power purely to the miraculous. Let's not be uncomfortable with these words as though there's no effectiveness for them for us today. Did God not provide opportunity for Daniel and his friends to learn of the literature and language of the Chaldeans and to minister to those people accordingly? Did God not allow Moses to learn from the Egyptians and see their culture, making him a powerful witness to them? And what about Joseph, who was able to do great things in Egypt after his brothers sold him away? If we limit God's power to the miraculous, we're missing something. As God gave David the strength and ability to win against his enemies, he likewise gives us strength to deal with the toils of life. I don't know exactly how that works, and I'm definitely not going to make something up as a theory, but I know he does it. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 are a good cross-reference here. Shows that God himself is working within us and with us to help us grow into holiness. We've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit lately. And we are told to walk by the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. Both of those things are true. I don't know exactly how they work. I know the miraculous isn't involved, yes. But otherwise, I don't know how it works. I don't need to. All I know is that God is by my side and that he is protecting me. And likewise, all that you need to know, all that any of us need to know, is that God is with us and protecting us. When we walk according to his word, when we're willing to learn from the words of scripture, when we're willing to pray to him and seek him out, we know that God is with us. 
Note in verses 41 through 42 that God likewise gave David favor. He gave David favor. When David's enemies cried out, verse 41, God didn't hear them. There was none to save, he says. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. The Lord did not come to their rescue. It was rather, on the contrary, David prevailed against them. The Lord answered David, but did not answer his enemies. It's hard to create a one-for-one situation for us. I'm not going to try to do that. But what I know is that there are many in this world who attack the Lord's church and synonymously attack the Lord's people. And what I know is that God has always, throughout history, stood with those who are faithful to his word. He stands with those who are faithful to what he has decreed. He stands with those who actually care about what he says. If the world calls us morons for what we believe, if the world belittles us and undermines us through other such words, we know through these words that God has got our back. When enemies opposed to God stand against us, rest assured that he will answer the faithful and not the faithless. He will answer the humble and not the haughty. He will answer the godly and not the godless. Yet greatest of all, if we look in verses 43 through 50, is that the Lord gave David deliverance. He gave David deliverance. David praises God out of thankfulness. Thankfulness that he exalted him above those who rose against him and from the man of violence, verse 48. The Lord is his rock and the God of his salvation, and he, and he is likewise so with us. In all of this, there's no promise that the problems will entirely go away. There's no way for me to connect this with our own lives and say that we will never endure hardships. It never once says here, and I would never try to insinuate such, that when we're going through difficult times, that God will just take the problem away. That's not how he works. It would be very difficult to maintain a humble and dependent prayer life if all of our problems were solved the first time we asked about them. It would be very difficult for us to continually be on our knees in prayer to God, dedicating that as a daily discipline, a spiritual discipline, if everything was just fine from the beginning. If we are not taught to need him, then you know what? We'll feel like we won't need him. We'll feel like there's nothing that we need from him. We'll feel like we have everything already covered. And that is a dangerous place to be. Our problems may not go away, but rest assured that God will not depart from you. He wants you to be faithful and he wants you to trust him. David's life was a tumultuous one. Some of the highest peaks in any, of any of the characters that are recorded for us in scripture and some of the lowest lows that we find too. And yet we may think of the beginning of 1 Timothy when Paul mentions in essence that he is a case study for the grace of God. He's a case study for how God shelters his people and is able to provide a different path of living. 
I think David's life is similar for us. We can see a case study of God's grace given to us through every psalm that David writes. Even throughout 1 and 2 Samuel, we, we see the ways that David was taken care of. God made a plan for him. I'll say this again like I did earlier. If you get nothing else from this time that we've had tonight, know that you are safe with the Lord. I cannot speak to each of your individual situations. I really wish I could. If I had the knowledge, I had the ability, I would so do that. But I'm unable to. But what I do know is that maybe there's a God who's waiting to hear from you. Maybe there's a God who hasn't heard from you in a while and really all he wants you to do is pray to him and tell him that you miss him. That being said, I'm unsure of what your specific needs are, but what I know is that God wants your heart and he wants to protect you. How a Christian, um, how a Christian is to do that is by asking for prayers from his brethren, by confessing sins, confessing faults so that we can pray, not be harsh, not be incredibly judgmental. We know that we have our own faults and our own weaknesses but so that we can support each other in that way. How does someone who's not a Christian come into that protection? Well, that person comes into that protection by repenting of their sin, by confessing his name before many, and baptism for the remission of, this, of sins. We will never be able to follow the perfect model of Jesus, but I am thankful that Jesus walks with me wherever I go. If you have any need at all, won't you come now as together we stand and we sing?